I'm Richard Morris from Australia, and in 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. I did some research, and I found an intervention called keto. I tried it, and I reversed my type 2 diabetes. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. That's me. I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I used to be a type 2 diabetic, too. I went ketogenic in February of 2016, and by April, I was already reversing my diabetes. We started a podcast called Two Keto Dudes. Yeah. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes. Some of our episodes have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times, and we have an online community of tens of thousands of people who followed us and have changed their own lives. We also founded an annual conference. Well, really a festival. A festival conference. Yeah, an international one. Uh, Not a Zoom one. No, a real one in the before times. (laughs) Yeah, it's called Keto Fest. It's a conference to discuss the latest research of ketogenic diets. Plus, mm-hmm. it's also a festival celebrating the lifestyle of ketogenic dieting. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? Well, it's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, my cells preferentially burn fat. And when my cells burn fat, that process produces molecules called ketones that fuel my brain and the rest of my body. <laughs> Correct mundo. Our primary molecular f- fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat, and in the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. Right. Which one would you rather have? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? Well, when you're starting out, you might have to. And then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all of your calories come from fatty acids, the amount you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy that your body's going to need to run that day, but also the amount of fat that it can draw down from your storage. So how many carbohydrates do we need to restrict ourselves in order to get into that state? Yeah, well, that depends. Some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day. Somebody who's quite metabolically flexible can eat as much as 100 grams a day. How about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? Well, you need 1 to 1.5 grams of protein for every kilo of lean mass. And beyond that, you just waste excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs plus leafy green vegetables, you'll get most of those because the organisms that made those foods have already concentrated essential cofactors. Well, ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout, mm-hmm. hot cuisine or just bacon and eggs. Hot cuisine! Hot cuisine, <laughs> As long as your carbohydrates are low enough. Right. You can check out our Starting Keto podcast for more information at start.2keto.com. So, Richard Morris, how does it feel to be back as uh, as the dude? Carl Franklin. Uh, it feels good. <laughs> um, we've uh, It's been a long time since we've been podcasting, so I'm very rusty. I've mm. been studenting, so uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit rusty, but uh, hopefully I'll uh, slip back into the into the groove quick enough. Yeah. So, uh, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. The Olympics are on. It's 2021 yep. and the 2020 Olympics are still going. <laughs> yeah, and a little different this year, but still exciting. Yeah, it, very exciting. So, uh, yeah, and no, that's been good. And, uh, of course, we're, you know, just finishing up winter here in Australia. So we're going mm-hmm. through our respiratory flu season. So other than that, things are going well. How about for you, Carl? Well, um, as you know, I, I said in the last show that we did with Carrie, our, our sort of comeback show, 202, mm. that uh, it's been a challenge for me over the course of the pandemic and uh, getting back into a, a rhythm, getting back into ketosis has been really hard. So, I'm, I'm trying a different tack and this just speaks to the to the way that everybody has a different approach. You know, you, you try things and if they work, you keep with them and if they don't work, Maybe try something else. So I'm going to um, take at least a week and do nothing but keto chow shakes. Oh, wow. And I'm hoping that just by taking the guesswork and the taking my mind off of what to shop and food uh, and cook and eat will just, uh, it'll just work for me and get me into that place where then I can go back to real food. So 
That's what I'm doing. Nice. Well, you know, Chris, Chris Bear from uh, Keto Chow did that for a year, didn't he? He ate nothing but he keto did, didn't he? chow shakes for a year. Was it a um, year? Really? I think it was, it was a fairly long period of time. And, wow. um, he had all his metabolic markers, um, taken and he, mm. uh, he was uh, quite healthy at the end of it. I felt sorry for him at Keto Fest because Keto Fest, is, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of food and everybody was doing interesting cooking. And he couldn't swallow anything. He'd taste it and then spit it out, which is, yeah. that's a horrible way to live. <laughs> it is a horrible way to live. And I remember in Denver, in low-carb Denver, um, I had brought some bazoodles as a sample. Ah, uh, yeah. And I was yeah, passing yeah. them around. And, uh, he yeah. couldn't he couldn't try them because, yeah. But, uh, hey, you know what, though? I mean, that's... That was his choice. I called him, by the way, or I did. I texted him actually because mm. I have two big bags of keto chow that have been sitting in my closet unopened for a couple of years. And I said, <laughs> wow. "Are are these still good?" And he said, "Well, the vitamins might not be as potent as they once were, yeah. But uh, other than you know the flavor being a little muted, everything should be fine." Yeah. He says, "Just don't." Just don't uh, eat three meals a day of keto chow for two or three weeks, or you're going to get a B vitamin deficiency. Oh, dear. So, I guess the B vitamins kind of uh, lose their potency after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, the fat-soluble vitamins probably won't, like uh, uh, vitamin E and A and D probably yeah. don't take well to being desiccated for a long period of time. So, yeah. I, I'm just guessing, but... No, I, 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 keto chow. I mean, this is not an ad for keto chow. We don't no, take it's ad, not. advertisements. It's not. We just, we just like, uh, Chris and Miriam and the, and the team. And it's uh, good. I, before all of my exams, I would have keto chow with, um, MCT oil. And, uh, you know, I, I rarely have, rarely, um, drink, uh, shakes and, and the like. But yeah, before an either. exam, I just wanted to make sure that I had plenty of ketones running and, uh, it, uh, that was quite good. So. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Um, a friend of mine texted me uh, a product, which was like a ketone drink, right? And I know mm-hmm. we've talked about it. If you just go to two keto dudes and search at the top, type Ketone. ketones. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll see. We we talked a lot about this, but I wasn't really sure whether this was the same as just regular exogenous ketones that we've already discussed, or if it was something that produced helps you, pro- you know, get into ketosis. And produce them yourself, which obviously is the way to go. And uh, it turns out that, no, it was just another product with ketones that, you know, as we like to say, it's kind of like uh, taking an Uber to the finish line of a marathon and then uh, squirting sweat on you from a spray bottle and yeah. saying, I won. <laughs> sweat that you bought off the internet that's yeah. uh, guaranteed to be 10% human sweat. <laughs> so, that's the difference. By by taking ketones, yes, they, you have ketones in your blood. Yes, they can fuel your brain and you know that's all good uh for therapeutic reasons maybe if you if you can't produce ketones but it's so much better to do what you just said which is take some mct oil which will uh you know help you produce ketones right sure yeah yeah so i mean you you make ketones from from uh, fatty acids when you when you metabolize them. The reason you don't do it when you're eating glucose normally is because there's a lot of barriers. When when you're eating glucose, there's a lot of barriers to getting long-chain fatty acids into yeah. to, to, to the point where they can make ketones. But short and medium-chain fatty acids go straight in and um, and you can make them even, even when insulin is high, So, um, uh, which yeah. would be the case when you're eating glucose. So... Um, yeah, it's possible. As I think Peter Atty used to say, you know, you could take a plate of pasta, a plate of spaghetti, and put um, MCT oil on it, eat it, and you'd be in ketosis. But yeah. um, it's it's not the point. It's I weird, mean, but it's but but it's a subtle point to make. Yeah, I mean, the reason that ketones are interesting to me as a researcher is that it's a it's a it's diagnostic of the fact that your body is metabolizing fatty acids if you're making ketones right. it means that your insulin is low enough to be able to allow fatty acids to get through um at enough rate to be able to generate ketones but yeah. i've never been obsessed with you know getting a certain high level of ketones i in fact i'd rather not if i see a four or a five i start to, i start to worry um and mm. I, that happens to be at altitude i can see a four or five for the most part my ketones are 
uh, you know, between 0.2 and 0.8. And I figure anything that's not zero is good because it's a marker of uh, fatty acid metabolism, which is, that's my goal. Right. It, yeah. It's either, you're either creating ketones or you're not creating ketones. And, uh, yeah. But we also had said this before many years ago that, um, the ketones that you're reading on the meter for your blood, right? I mean, let's, yeah. We're not talking about P strips or any of that stuff. We're talking about, Beta hydroxybutyrate, which you can yeah. test in your blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, if what you're seeing is what's not being taken up as energy, right. yeah. So it, it's the leftover ketones. Yeah, it's a buffer. Yeah. So it's essentially it's it's like a battery that stores a little bit of extra ketones in case you have a dip where you're mm. actually using more than you're making. And yeah. that little buffer in the ki- in the blood is just a little. And, and th- this is one of the reasons why. It, tends to go down as you become more and more fat, fat adapted um, because your body is able to make them at a faster rate if it needs to. And yep. so- um, And take them up. You know, like it, it, and, it adjusts yep. the supply and demand, adjusts itself out. Absolutely. It needs a smaller battery if, it, if it's able to make them very quickly at any point. So, um, you know, or battery or buffer. But yeah, it's uh, anything that's above zero is, is meaningful to me. And I don't really like to see it go too high, but, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, uh, drinking ketones is kind of dumb. It's yeah, kind of it bullshit. Is. It's kind of bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and that, of course, <laughs> is spelled B O L S H W E T. That's a little right. bit of foreshadowing, kids. <laughs> yes, that's coming up, uh, mm-hmm. after we do the next part, which is, uh, we read a piece of, um, Felt good. Uh, <laughs> so you've done a year. You've done a year of podcast with Carrie denying you the pleasure know, of a right? male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was never into that. Well, um, so we started when we started this podcast. We used to, of course, read email and you know yeah. things off of Facebook. But then uh, after a while, we decided Facebook was like uh, a babysitting. Poison. Yeah, it, just. <laughs> Toxic and uh, oh, toxic, terrible, uh, and we toxic, we shut toxic down. and or venomous. <laughs> oh yeah, vitriolic. I mean, and and idiotic too. I, we found that we would do a post, and then people would comment on it, and and then the same questions kept creeping up, and all they really had to do was scroll up, yeah, and to see that it was already. Uh, answered. But people go to Facebook, they want instant answers. They see something and they just don't read anything else. And then they just type, well, what is, what about yada yada? And uh, then people argue, eh, it's just bad. So we started a forum uh, called ketogenic forums. And if you go to ketogenicforums.com, you mm-hmm. can, it's free to join as, uh, yeah, We've got tens of thousands of people, as Richard said in the intro in there, that uh, all sorts of different topics, and you can feel free to post on anything. Now, there's a great topic in the beginning keto section called Cannot Get Fat Adapted. And the person that started this uh, has a post. And then there's so many really good responses. So even, you know, we're going to make an attempt to respond to it here, but just go read it. Look, look for the topic cannot get fat adapted. So this person says, hi, I feel so sad at the moment. Before my keto journey, I've done a hundred days of low carb plus OMAD one meal a day and 48 hour fasting every weekend. That was a very hard period for me, especially fasting for 48 hours. Even on the very last weekend, I felt terrible. Every fast, my blood glucose was around 60. I could barely move myself around. There were probably maybe two weekends when I felt fine fasting. This is extremely hard, but I had to reduce visceral fat fast, and I did. After this, I started proper keto. I've read about it a lot, and finally, having everything ready, started keto. Today is my fourth week of basically failing keto. I have felt terrible all this time. Unable to think, focus, always asleep, brain fog, muscle weakness to the point where I can barely walk, the same like it was when I was fasting. I hit this ketosis thing, or whatever, twice, for 10 hours each time, and then I am out again, feeling like I'm about to faint. After meals, my sugar goes to something like 85, 
and at this level my brain is fine, but I still have a huge weakness in my legs. So finally today, just now, I ate 70 grams of carbs, of which maybe 15 grams net, and I felt better, just better right away. My net carb intake today is something like probably 35 or 40. All other days I have maintained maybe even less than 20 total carbs. Basically, when I was in ketosis those two times, especially the first time, this was for sure a huge difference from a regular state. I felt like a machine with endless focus and power. At the moment, I'm feeling pretty much regular. So basically, when I'm doing less than 50 net carbs daily for me, it's just a low carb thing. And I feel the same if uh, I don't limit my carbs daily. But mm-hmm. if I stick to less than 20 grams total daily, I'm just dying. Now, that's also net carbs, right? Yeah. He, no, it's 20 total carbs. Total carbs, yeah. Yeah. I fought for three weeks and thought of giving up. I have to mention, I work seven days a week, 16 hours a day, no vacations, no nothing, tech job, and cannot allow any more delay of a brain performance. Oh, I can relate to that. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I just feel mentally like crap, but it seems that keto is not for me. It's also worth mentioning that I have the worst genetics ever. Before even going low-carb, for me to stop adding regular white sugar, it took half a year. I just couldn't withdraw. Basically, I was fainting without sugar. Mm. Then to uh, forego white bread, it took three months to get off Ouch. white bread. Anyway, before even beginning with low-carb and one meal a day, I spent three years withdrawing all the crappy, highly processed food and sweets pizza, etc. Yes, this is how long it took me. I just hate Three myself years. so much. Wow. Yeah. I just hate myself so much right now. Why can't I just be like everybody else, fat adapted and happy? Because I've never felt better than this time in ketosis, but I lost it. Mm. Wow. I, first of all, I'm sorry that you that uh, you can't figure it out. It's it's tough. And and I know that there have been a lot of great suggestions and questions that uh, the community has supported this person. But uh, what do you think, Richard? Well, I think that the fact that a 48-hour fast is so difficult actually tells us something. Mm. Um, The first time uh, you do it, it's always tough. But once you realize that, hey, I didn't eat and I didn't die, it's kind of like an epiphany. And for some reason, that makes the second one easier, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Our listener fasted every weekend for 100 days and didn't get better. That's... You know, 14, 14 two-day fasts mm. over three months. That's unusual, and it, I think it tells us something important. Yeah. So when you fast, you're running entirely on fat. It's just that all of the fat comes from internal storage. Um, so if you experience an energy shortfall, then some process in the chain between releasing fat from fat cells, shipping them through your circulation, attached to a lipoprotein called albumin, importing them into your cells and transporting them across the two mitochondrial membranes to then be turned into energy, something in that chain is inhibited. It's like somewhere along a garden hose, somebody is stepping on the hose and the flow at the sprinkler that comes out of the sprinkler is insufficient. Hmm. Um, there is a rare genetic um, uh, condition where that second last step, getting fats across uh, the mitochondrial membrane or fatty acids uh, across mitochondrial membranes is inhibited. Hmm. This condition is called carnitine palmitil transferase or CPT deficiency. Carnitine. CPT. What is it again? It's carnitine palmitil transferase. Okay. And it's uh, it's a transporter protein that sits in the membrane of your mitochondria, and your mitochondria are these organelles that sit inside your cells, and they take in glucose and um, and oxygen and uh, uh, fatty acids, and then they 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 send ATP out that you utilize for energy. Yeah. So this transporter protein sits in the membrane of the mitochondria. And it's required to get fatty acids that you will turn into ATP and ketones from the inside of your cells to the inside of the mitochondria. And that's where your cells turn these uh, fatty acids into ATP with a side effect of making a few ketones. Right. So this is a, a genetic um, uh, deficiency and it's autosomal res- recessive, which means that to be affected, you really have to ha- get a deficient gene from both parents. It's oh. very, very rare. About 300 cases have been documented in the literature. Um, mm. So um, it occurs to me that if you had one CPT deficient gene 
and one CPT-sufficient gene, so you had a good one and a bad one, um, that would be more common. Um, you'd be like a carrier of that. Um, and if your partner was had uh, also had one deficient gene, there's a potential that you, you, your children could get both and that would they'd, they'd have the... The, uh, that that be affected, but it occurs to me, and I'm just speculating here. I, I, I had a brief look in the literature; I couldn't see anything about uh, um, heterozygous um, expression. But it could be that one deficient gene just means that somebody is stepping lightly on your hose, to use our metaphor. And maybe you only notice a problem. Maybe it's not not normally a problem, but you do notice it when you try to run 100% on fatty acids because it seems like. Yeah, if you can't fast for two days, then there's something stopping you from getting in, and you, you're just running out of energy. There's something stopping you from getting energy mm. um, uh, in your mitochondria. Um, wow. I know of at least one well-known low-carb person who personally has to eat slightly more protein, slightly more glucose, and slightly less fat than a standard ketogenic diet. It's not by a lot. It's like a 10% difference. Um, when he tried – a high-fat ketogenic diet, the standard kind of ketogenic diet, his triglyceride spikes levels that I've only ever seen in Frank type 2 diabetics, in this case, in me. Mm. Uh, my triglycerides when I was a Frank type 2 diabetic were 1,111 milligrams per deciliter. Wow. And this guy's, I think, was like, over, it was over a thousand. So, which is, I mean, you, your triglycerides are normally uh, under a hundred. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you're really sick. And so um, this means that his garden hose upstream of the inhibition, so somebody was stomping on the garden hose and upstream of that, if we continue the garden hose metaphor, was full to bursting with high-pressure water and the, you know, and the, and the garden right. hose was expanding out like a big bulb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, there is one interesting hack that might be relevant here. CPT transports long-chained fatty acids and fatty acids are a, a, a chain of carbons, um, and uh, anything that's sixteen carbons or longer is considered a long chain fatty acid. So, so this transporter, for which it's potential that you, you may have a deficiency um, in in producing these proteins, this transporter uh, transports these long chain fatty acids. But medium and short chain fatty acids have a entirely different method of getting into the mitochondria. So this could be a hack you could try to see if it makes a difference. Yeah, you were just Maybe talking about more- MCT oil as a yeah, we medium were. We were. fatty acid. And, yeah. I mean, and, you know, our friends at Keto Chow is a, is a, is a good way to get uh, more medium-chain fatty acids into your diet. Um, so uh, if you get more dietary fats from sources of medium-chain fats like coconut oil, which is 100% medium-chain, or short-chain fats like butter, which is butter's 10% short-chain fatty acids, 27% medium-chain fatty acids, and 63% long-chain fatty acids. Um, so, you know, it could be that, that that's just enough to get enough energy into your system that you don't um, notice a problem. Hmm. Vinegar is another case. Vinegar is 100% short-chain fatty acids. Hmm. Um, acetic acid is a, is a fat. So um, short and so- medium go right through the portal vein and it's directly into – your system. They do. And also they can go straight, they can get straight into the mitochondria without having to go through CPT. Right. Um, now, if you have a, a CPT deficiency, then, then it's not able to move long chain fats very quickly. So it's got to route them through a different mechanism, which is polluting and takes time and you run out of energy in that process. But if you have just enough short chain or medium chain fatty acids, maybe you just get enough energy. So here's, here's a hack you might want to try. Do a 48 hour fast and then have some, uh, you know, coconut oil uh, shake um, just to see if all of a sudden the symptoms that you're noticing of running out of energy all disappear. And you might find that you just go straight into keto, you know, into that um, 10 hour ketosis experience that you were missing last time. Or if you want to isolate coconut oil, you can just warm it up and drink it down. Don't, yeah. Don't even I, put it I, in anything. Sounds gross, but <laughs> I'm sure you It could. is gross. <laughs> add a bit, of, add a bit of cream to it or something, and some Maybe. cacao yeah. and some sweetener. Or, I don't know. Um, anyway, to sum it up, yeah, you know, this condition is genetic. It's extremely rare, um, but some people just can't get enough fatty acids in, into their mitochondria at a sufficient rate to mm. uh, fully supply their energy requirements. I should say, remember, we're not doctors, um, but maybe this is a conversation to have with your doctor about whether some deficiency in fatty acid oxidation could be causing those symptoms you're seeing. 
Yes, and we do encourage people to go to the ketogenic forums. We're going to link to that um, uh, to this topic where you can read all of the suggestions. And, and you know, I brought it up because again, I think there's a lot of people who are kind of um, struggling right now. And, uh, you know, after the pandemic may have gone completely out of ketosis or maybe just, uh, I was talking with a, an old friend who came to Keto Fest and was very happy that we we're starting up again. And I said, how did you fare during the, um, during the pandemic? And he said, I stayed keto and put on 35 pounds, 100% yeah. ketogenic. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's just a thing. It just, just happens. Just not being able to get out the door. Yeah, you know, not being able to get out and and uh, I mean, in my case, you know, the, the if I can't get out and cycle, um, you know, my I, I start to get a little bit more flabby and uh, and yeah. the other thing is that when you're at home and you don't have any exercise to do, um, it's easy just to raid the fridge. You overeat, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, and you eat you eat more often. I mean, it's not so much that you're right. eating more calories total in the day, but you're eating more often, and so you're continually inhibiting fatty acid oxidation so right. um every t- every time you every time you eat um uh, even if it's a small amount of, uh, of carbohydrates or protein for the uh, insulin your insulin will go up a little bit and while your insulin is up this uh, cpt that we were talking about it refuses to shuttle fatty acids because right. it's uh, it's inhibited by uh, the process of uh, it's inhibited, inhibited by insulin signaling down, downstream inhibited. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's why so many people are turning to intermittent fasting because it just gives them a longer window of time where their insulin is low and therefore yeah. more time where they can burn ketones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that brings us to your new segment, sir. Yes. This is, this, so I, I'm going to do a segment on bullshit. How, how do you spell that exactly? Because I don't know if we can. Uh, I guess we could say that on a podcast, but you got a funny spelling, don't you? It's the regular way. B-O-O-L-S-H-E-T. <laughs> how else would you spell it, Carl? <laughs> it's bullshit. <laughs> so, what's the point? What's what's the idea here? So, um, look, there's a lot of um, myths around uh, that have very little substance especially in the low-carb community. And so I want to look into the evidence behind some claims and uh, see whether they are, in fact, bullshit. All right. And the first one that I'm going to look into today, so there's this idea popular among both plant-based and low-carb paleo communities that if you can get your metabolic health perfectly aligned, whatever the dogma is of that community, then you'll be protected from from disease, specifically the one disease that we're all interested in, which is COVID. Hmm. Um, and I've been looking a lot in the uh, at, at plant-based and vegan advocate uh, videos. I'm trying to find out what information they have that got them to their opinion, what their evidence base is to see if there's something maybe I'm missing. So maybe, maybe, maybe they're right. And, and so I've been drilling into this stuff and I'm finding in a lot of cases they're not. <laughs> But anyway, okay. this is this is an example of this, and the, you know, says the vegans will say, you know, if you eat, if you don't eat animals, you've got a better chance of getting through COVID. And there's a lot of people in the low carb uh, paleo space who say, you know, if you if you don't eat processed food or you, you don't eat uh, carbohydrates, you'll 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 fare better. Right. So let's actually have a look at this claim. It is certainly true that if you have metabolic disease, your chance of getting hospitalised is higher, and that's different from getting COVID, you can be infected and not be have a chance of getting hospitalized, have a lower chance of being hospitalized. Right. Yeah. yeah. COVID is the disease. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. Yeah. And so we're talking specifically about somebody who is symptomatic for the disease. They have some presentation of the disease. Some are, some are symptomatic and they don't need to go to the hospital. But for people who need to go to the hospital, the next progression is of that of the percentage, uh, one a certain percentage of the of the people who are hospitalised end up needing mechanical ventilation, and then a certain certain percentage of those um, won't survive the mechanical ventilation. So, so hospitalisation is an interesting data point. 
Yes, it is. And I'm going to link a study in the show notes, um, and the title of the study is COVID-19-Associated Hospitalizations Amongst Healthcare Personnel. Uh, and this is um, uh, 438 healthcare workers hospitalized in 13 US states from March the 1st to May the 31st in 2020. So it's pretty much the first quarter of the, of the, of the epidemic. Yeah. Or pandemic. And of these 438 uh, healthcare workers, 72%, 72.5% were obese. Okay. And 40.6% had hypertension and 36.7% had chronic metabolic disease and 30.9% mm. had diabetes. Wow. And 45% had cardiovascular disease. And there's a bunch of other, um, uh, comorbid states, but, but those ones that I highlight are all, uh, sequelae of the, of the metabolic syndrome. So, there is reason to say, well, yeah, you know, if I have metabolic disease by eating a certain way or doing a certain amount of exercise or whatever it is that you're going to do, um, I'll reduce that metabolic disease. There's a good, there, there is some justification to say that I'll have a better, a, a lower risk profile, but not by much. But it isn't linked to what you did to get metabolic disease or not. It's just yeah. that you're, if you're in that state of metabolic syndrome, if you yeah. have that, then your chances of being hospitalized go up. Yeah, that's right. Well, th this is they're looking at a population. They're looking at everybody who came into these hospitals over the three month period. Right. Then they look to see are they a healthcare worker, in which case they have access to to personnel records, essentially to, okay. to do more data mining. And then from those people, how many had each of these factors? And from the all of the people who were hospitalized for COVID who were healthcare workers in those 13 states over three months, 72.5% were obese. So that that suggests, you know, if I'm if I'm managed to become not obese, changes your risks. Right. So um, the other interesting thing is that 10.2%, that's one-tenth of all of the people who have COVID, have no underlying condition. Interesting. Now, that could be subclinical. They could have metabolic syndrome, but they just haven't had their insulin. They, they, they haven't, they, they don't know what their, uh, how insulin resistant they are. Right. Um, there's a bunch of cryptic things here, but there are people who are not metabolically diseased who, who get very sick and die from this. So, the first thing that uh, occurred to me is, you know, think about all the people you've seen dying from this disease on TV. Most mm. of them are just regular folk who are obese, right? That, I mean, just about every time. Sure, they're rare cases who claim that they've, quote, unquote, done everything right, exercised and eaten right, yeah. um, you know, uh, hyper-fit people. But for the most part, most of the people that we see dying and saying, you know, I, I wish I'd done something different um, uh, are, for the most part, ob obese. And so... It, does it surprise you that 27.5% uh, of people hospitalized with COVID um, uh, uh, amongst healthcare providers, so not adolescents, children, or the elderly, 20, uh, over a quarter of these people are not obese? Hmm. You know, I think one thing worth thinking about is that the information we think we're seeing in the media is not really representative of the actual cases. Sure. This, these are stories that have been cultivated for us and curated for us. Yeah. So the next link I'm going to talk about is uh, Verta Health uh, are a company who have a an app and it manages type 2 diabetics into a ketogenic state. So essentially this uh, company was uh, co-founded by Stephen Finney and Jeff Volek who are really gurus in this in the, the ketogenic space and they manage a lot of people ketogenically and they they've had incredible success published uh, peer-reviewed studies showing that um, they had a significant success in being able to reverse these people's type 2 diabetes. So the people in their group had type 2 diabetes and have reversed it by following all of the rules of this, you know, of, of this diet program. And their group size is quite significant, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the, in the, in the tens of thousands of people. I mean, wow. the, the study that is, the published study is 800, I think 800 people. Okay. They're large enough to be adequately powered to be able to see a significant difference. So they've asked their people, they, they can ask people, ask their, their customers questions on the, on the phone. So they're asked, this is patient volunteered information. Have you, have you been for a test? What was the result? Have yeah. you been for a test? What, what result? And so when people said, yeah, I've been for a COVID test and it was negative or been for a COVID test and it was positive. And then they're tracking, they have, um, uh, healthcare providers on staff who, who work with people to help them 
manage their type 2 diabetes right. using the diet. Right. And so they're asking questions like, you know, they uh, uh, you know, interviewing them to find out what the progress of the disease was. And Verda had, uh, they issued a press release. It's not a peer-reviewed study. This is just a press release, and so we should treat it as a press release. Right. Um, they compared uh, the risk of if you get COVID, what are the chances of being either hospitalised on a mechanical ventilator or dying in their group and uh, in their group, if you got, if you were infected with COVID, you had a positive test, your chance of hospitalization was 11.2%. That's quite high. Um, and your chance of being ventilated if you were infected with COVID in their group, these, now these are people who are ketogenic and they're treating their type 2 diabetes with diet, um, your chance of being ventilated is 1.8% and your chance of death is 0.3%. So that's interesting because it's not zero. It is interesting. Yeah, it's not zero. No, and that, but I mean, it, it sounds bad. But if you if you look at it in context of another group being managed by Vanderbilt University Medical Center, uh, they're also type two diabetics. In their group, uh, the chance of being hospitalized if you were diagnosed with um, with infection, the chance of being hospitalized was forty four point three percent. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, in the Verda group, eleven point two, in the yeah. in the non-interventional or type two diabetic managed with the standard of care, forty four point three. So a quarter of the chance. So here's the thing: if you're type two diabetic, you really want to go on a ketogenic diet because yeah. you know if there's a chance you're going to come, you're going to meet this um, this virus. There's a you you definitely want to. Uh, move the odds in your favor. Sure. Um, so if we look further, uh, the chance of being ventilated if you were in the Vanderbilt University group, the standard of care group, was 5.9%, and the chances in the Verda group was 1.8%. Wow. And then the chance of death in the in the Vanderbilt group was 4.8%. So almost 5% of people infected who were being managed by by Vanderbilt University Medical Center for their type 2 diabetes, five, almost 5% died. And the vertigrip is 0.3%. So that's like wow. a, it's what, a one-sixteenth, one-sixteenth of the risk. So that you, you're seriously reducing your risks if you go on a ketogenic diet. And even if you said, okay, well, maybe, you know, people didn't report because it was Verda and whatever, but all right, even if it's half, it, this is way less than half. And even yeah. if it's half, it's significant. Even if it's yeah. less, it's significant. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. But I mean, my, the, the, the problem here is it's not zero. Yeah. The problem here is that a ketogenic diet doesn't cure everything. Right. It, 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 it reduces the risks. And this is a case for everything. This is a case for, for reversing type two diabetes. Not everybody reverses type two diabetes on a ketogenic diet. Right. Even in the Verda group, only 50% of people ended up uh, remissing their type two diabetes. Yeah. So, you know, um, but hey, it's good odds. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a one in two chance of, Getting rid of a disease by just changing what you eat. That's definitely worth trying. Now, we know type 2 diabetes comes along with all of these other things, right? That, uh, yeah. that all make up metabolic syndrome. But, uh, I, and I suppose metabolic syndrome is a precursor to type 2 diabetes. But what if you have somebody who's type 2 diabetic? And I know this is just speculation, but what if you have somebody who's type 2 diabetic, reduces carbs, gets into ketosis, and reduces their A1C in three months to non-diabetic levels, but they still may have some lingering uh, metabolic syndrome markers. Yeah, what, you know, it, is that is that possible? If you have yes. if you have an A1C below, you know, whatever the the limit is, and you you still have hypertension, you still have high triglycerides, you're still obese. The, case in point, me, right? I had COVID last year in this. In this time period that that mm. first study was talking about. It was yeah, April. March to May. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I was obese, certainly, but I wasn't hospitalized and I certainly didn't die or have, was on ventilation. Um, you know, I, I, I was able to kick it off. I think it it could have had, uh, you know, being uh, ketogenic obviously reduces the risk factors. Mm. So when you're playing with that deck of cards, you had a few more cards. Right. You had a, you had a, a couple of aces more than more than the average hand held. Right. So you were slightly advantaged. Yeah. I, I suspect 
significantly advantage. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, the significance here is one quarter of the people who aren't on a ketogenic diet who have, you know, the similar similar risk factors, you know, there's four times as many in, who, who yeah. are not on a ketogenic diet who end up being hospitalised, so or 16 times as many who end up dying. So interesting, yeah. So, so what does this say to your bullshit uh, opinion? Well, it's not zero. Yeah. The point is, when you are comparing, what are my risks of an intervention versus what are my risks if I don't take the intervention? Mm. Um, let's take the ketogenic diet. The risks if you don't take the intervention and you're diabetic of dying is four point eight percent if you're infected. Right. If you are infected but you are on a ketogenic diet, 0.3%. So you're significantly increasing the odds in your favour. You're getting an extra ace in your hand uh, for, a, for a hand of poker. But, you know, it's, um, it, it's, 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 not, it's not a guarantee of anything. But it's not zero is my point. So you need to compare and contrast these things. So the claim should not be you are protected from COVID. The claim should be nah. you are less likely to get COVID. Yes, it's it's an additional arrow in your quiver. Right. It's not it's not a get out of jail free card. Yeah. yeah. I should say it's a press release, so it's not a peer reviewed study. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also worthwhile pointing out that this is from an abstract presentation at the American Diabetes Association 2021 scientific sessions. So it's slightly better than an article for the, in the popular science press because it's been. The abstract has been created for other scientists to look at, and I'm assuming that there will be some pushback uh, from other other scientists. The important thing here is when you're comparing these two groups, the Verta group versus the Vanderbilt group, um, we don't know if these two populations started out similar before the intervention right. of There's a lot of the Verta group going on a ketogenic diet. I mean, they could have had diabetes for longer. One group may have had diabetes for a shorter time, in which case there's probably more chance of, 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 of better outcomes. Um, is one group on average older than the other? This is part of the problem that I have with the idea that diabetes is a cofactor for, for, uh, for COVID is that COVID, we know COVID predominantly is more dangerous for older people and diabetes happens more often in older people. And so right. you have, you know, you, 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 you potentially confounding your, your question there. Um, the other thing is that, um, I guess, you know, even in the Verda, uh, population, um, 0.3% still died and 0.3% is not zero. So this is, this is, it's not a scientific result, but what it is is it's a really interesting hypothesis generating activity. Yep. And now we need to find out what is the mechanism behind this. What is there? I mean, was it because people became less diabetic because that, or because they needed less drugs, or because there was something about beta hydroxybutyrate in circulation that made a difference, or mm. that low levels of glucose, low levels of insulin? There's a lot of balls in the air in this particular juggling game. But um, I'm going to. Just briefly mention three different uh, cases of uh, people who are really quite fit. So if you think, if you think, well, all I need to do is to achieve the ultimate level of fitness, and then I'm going to have total protection against uh, against disease. Mm. Um, I'm going to show some samples and like. There's a a former Ironman champion who. Um, uh, has gone through a year of. Tra- this is Tamsin Lewis, a, a UK. Yeah, she's a medical Lewis. doctor and. Yeah, and she's a former pro triathlete and the Ironman UK champion of 2014. So, um, you know, she's, she's in her forties. Um, and you would expect that, you know, if, if metabolic health had anything to do with disease, then she should be the least likely person to, I mean, if, if she got infected with the virus and she just shrug it off, it's not going to make any, not make any, cause any damage. But she's, um, 11 months into long haul. Mm. Um, and her resting heart rate when she was fit went from 37 beats a minute pre-COVID to 85. Um, and now, you know, what you mean by long haul means lo- uh, long symptoms persisting from COVID? Yeah. Unable to go back to work, essentially. Wow. Yeah, the, the long haul. 11 months? This is months? morbidity. This is 11 months. Now, she, huh. she uh, presumably wasn't – I don't know if she was hospitalized or not – um, she was presumably in the cat, in the category of people for whom they're not hospitalized. Um, so, you know, they get infected with the virus. It's not bad enough to need to go to hospital in your case, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a case for you. So, you know, it, the metabolic health 
will get you some of the way. It'll 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 increase your 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 odds, but not by a lot. And and there's no guarantee if you're metabolically fit. Potentially, um, there are other things she she could have, she could have done to 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 mitigate her risks. And I, you know, that, I leave that question open for the audience. Now, do we know that she wasn't a toffee? In other words, not metabolically fit, but physically fit. She owns a wellness and longevity platform. So okay. I don't know what that means. I suspect that she and she's a she's an MD. So mm. I suspect that she would know that information, and yeah, it yeah. certainly wasn't in that document that I'm going to link. Um, okay. The second one is um, uh, is a another triathlete, another UK triathlete, um, and uh, this guy. This is a, an article um, written by his twin sister, um, and the t- the title is "He Wish He'd Listened." Sister's agony is super fit twin dies of COVID in UK after refusing vaccine. Oh, so um, and his his claim was he thought he would have a mild de- or her, her her description was the only pre-existing health condition he had was a belief in his own immortality. He thought if he contracted COVID, he'd be okay. He thought he would have a mild illness. He didn't want to put a vaccine in his body. Um, he died after suffering an infection and organ failure four weeks after testing positive. And, um, you know, I guess the, the, the summary to all of this, the, the bullshit is not in the results from Verta, which are thought-provoking and they help us reduce our risks of disease, long-haul morbidity and mortality. It's not the evident increased risk for disease if we're metabolically unhealthy. That's not the bullshit either. The bullshit is the doctrine that by being virtuous to some dogma, you're somehow protected from risk. This is a fetish, yeah. which is defined by any object, idea, etc., eliciting unquestioning reverence, respect, or devotion. Right. Look, it's not my job to tell anyone to get a vaccine or to use a non-pharmaceutical intervention like masking or social distancing. Honestly, I don't care if you get a vaccine or wear a mask. You do you, boo. Yeah. I do <laughs> want to make sure that you have as much information as you can to weigh the risks properly and are not misled by salesmen for whom their snake oil can cure all manner of ills. Yeah. I think keto has some benefits for reversing metabolic syndrome. There's a solid body of literature showing how it may work and guidelines to grade the significance of the evidence. There's good historical body of evidence to show that a ketogenic diet can lower the seizure threshold for refractory epilepsy. Mm. There's mechanistic evidence and anecdata for its use as an adjunctive treatment for type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. There's some sparse literature showing some benefits for neurological conditions like migraines and bipolar disorder. There's almost nothing suggesting any effect on viral disease, the Verda press release notwithstanding. So please factor that into your risk assessment yeah. when you do you. Yes. Richard, that's- And that is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great. And I, I really hope that people, uh, you know, take it for what it is. This, we're just looking at some of the claims and some of the facts and trying to, trying to, you know, Trying to wade through it, just like you are. But uh, yeah, as, you know, as Carl said last week, we did. We don't want to be the. We don't want to be the COVID show. That that's not. We're not. Right. You know, that's not what we're interested in. But you know, this is personal to me. When you know, in the community, when we make claims that that have very little basis in fact. Um, well, and in so, fact, this is the. This is the intersection of COVID and type 2 diabetes, and we are here to support type 2 diabetics. So it's absolutely relevant and topical. And, you know, just as a, um, just as a guide, I think of all of the people that I really respect, uh, as scientists and even citizen scientists. And you ask them a question that, you know, they get asked these black and white questions all the time. Yes or no. Uh, true or false, you know, and the if the real scientists will say, well, we don't know for sure, but there is good evidence to support X, and and you know the the charlatan says it's absolutely irrefutable that X, lay down Mazer, everyone believes in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's absolutely X, and if you don't believe it, you're a fool. Okay, well, that's not helpful, nor is it accurate. Nah. So, you know, it, uh, the, the CDC is a, is a really good uh, example of how science progresses. 
You know, they're, they're expected to produce a, a black and white recommendation at, uh, you know, it seems like every single day of the pandemic. Well, and they're expected on day one. They're expected, they're expected on day to one. to be able to tell you what to do on day one of the introduction of a novel right. coronavirus. And of course, guess what? They're, uh, their recommendations have changed over time because guess what? Yeah. So has the evidence. The evidence changes, their recommendations change. And that's the sign of good science. That's not the sign. Uh, it's the sign of a bad politician. Uh, I mean, according to people who follow politicians, because politicians yeah. are expected not to flip flop. But right. you know what? They'd be doing their constituents uh, so much better service if they did based on evidence. So. I, my touchstone, um, well, there's two, but one of them is somebody who tells you, I told you I was right. Yeah. That's, that's a tell. That's a tell tell for somebody who has a really bad instinct. Yeah. That smells (laughs) bad. That is driving them. (laughs) And the other, the other one is, um, is victim, the, the victimhood. And you, you, you see this sometimes on, on uh, Facebook, uh, people misspelling the word vaccine with a G in it or something, or mm. they're talking about the hokey pokey or spell COVID with numbers. Yeah. I mean, these people are intelligent people. Surely they must realise that the amount of effort that it would take for Facebook to add an extra search term into their heuristic that says yeah. this person is talking about this particular field is insignificant. So, it's it's become also almost a shibboleth hmm. that to you to say I'm going to use this term and all of you in my audience are going to know that I'm one of you that I'm on your team and that that we are this is it's it's a shibboleth for you for your in community. Right. As soon as I see that from somebody who's otherwise intelligent, I think, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you trying to play the victim? Why are you trying to to claim that the man is out to get you? Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks. Anyway, uh, I hope. I promise. Yeah. I, I promise. Next week's bullshit will be uh, <laughs> more ketogenic focused. There's a couple of really bad variants of the ketogenic diet out there right. um, that really need to be looked at, and so I think we'll do some of that next time. We'll not talk about COVID because I'm sure it's pissing people off. <laughs> All right. Well, stay well out there, and uh, you know you got to eat. So if you're going to eat, you're going to need some. Uh, Carrie Brown. Hi, Cousin Carrie. Cousin Carl, how are you? I'm fine. there's Mr. Morris. Hello, sir. Hi, Carrie. So what you got today, Carrie? Well, if you listened in last time, I was kind of on this how to get back on keto for those who have wandered for whatever reason we you know we've all right um judgment free zone we've all agreed that the 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 last 18 months have been super difficult for one or 20 different reasons and a lot of people have found it very difficult to stay the course with keto so uh last episode we did a super simple assembly. Oh, can I can I interrupt you for a second? Yes. I actually went to Costco and got those meatballs. And they're delicious. Right? I, I think they must be made with chicken skin too, because there's a little bounce to them. They are delicious. They are and they just are absolutely so great. You should have a, a stack of those in your freezer as a mm. kind of a backup for an instant meal and I'm actually doing a little how what to do with your chicken meatball series on the blog. Oh, wow, um, great. Because if you you know with a few ingredients you can make like a dozen completely different recipes with your chicken meatballs. Yeah. Which can you know it can sometimes make the difference if you're if you're having a difficult day and you've got no time and you're super tired, if you can get a kind of a restaurant-worthy dinner on the table mm. in 10 minutes, yep. that's keto. It, it's just like fabulous. So I'm doing a little series of how to do exactly that using those chicken meatballs or any chicken meatballs as a base, but making you know a dozen completely different meals so you don't get bored. Okay, great. So – Coming soon, Cousin Carl, you will have – not that you're not entirely capable of creating a bunch of your own, but 
just some ideas for you will be coming. This week I did – it's not a recipe as such, but I just wanted to mention there were a couple of things I did this week that were incredibly simple that I wanted to share. The The first of them was that – now I've forgotten the brand. There's those those outer aisle, I think they're called in, in America. Um, they're – they're about five-inch little cauliflower crepe discs. Oh. Like cauliflower tortillas. Oh, outer, wow. outer Gourmet, Outer, I can't remember the brand name. But anyway, they also have the exact same thing now at Trader Joe's. So they're four to five-inch discs of of little um, like cauliflower-based tacos. That's what they look like. Outer Isle. Outer Isle, there we Outer go. OuterIsleGourmet.com. So they do have these at Costco, which means that you can buy a bunch of them and they're cheaper than elsewhere. But Trader Joe's have also come out with their own brand. And if you're in Australia or in England, you'll probably be able to find something similar. Or you could use any recipe you like for a low-carb tortilla. But this is what I did. I wanted a really quick lunch but I wanted something hot and I didn't want to think too hard. Right. And so what I did was I got two of these cauliflower discs. Yep. And on one of them, I put a slice also at Costco. Can you tell I've been to Costco lately? <laughs> they have packets of pre-sliced Havarti. Oh, nice. Which are so ridiculously cheap. Well, and that's also difficult to slice Havarti because it's a very sticky, creamy cheese. Right. So they yeah. have these enormous packets of sliced Havarti. So I, I had my cauliflower thin and I put my square of sliced Havarti on top. And then hmm. what I did was I I beat up two eggs and my favorite seasoning, which happens to be Trader Joe's onion salt, but whatever okay. seasoning herbs you like to go in your eggs, I put a bunch of that in and I whisked them up and I got a, a big skillet, actually an omelet pan, like nine inches. And I made this really thin, like crepe, as it were, omelet, just super, super thin. Yeah. It literally took two minutes to cook. And then while it was still in the pan, I got a spatula and I folded it in half. And, and so it's like a half, like a half circle. Half and then moon, I folded yeah. it in half again. So it's now in quarters. And I put that on top of my cheese and cauliflower. I put another slice of cheese on top and mm. another piece of cauliflower on top <laughs> and made a, an egg, cheese and egg sandwich. And it was fantastic. It wow. literally took me. Less than five minutes to make. It was hot. It was flavored with my favorite things. It was right. completely keto and made from staples that I have in my fridge. That's so easy. So, we don't even need to publish a recipe for it. Right. Yeah. So, but that was one of the things I did. And it's not, I think assembly is like a great way to get people back into the kitchen. Is yeah is to be able to make hot, delicious food in, in under five minutes with stuff you already have in your kitchen because sometimes it can feel like the effort of going to the store and buying special ingredients or, or you know, spending even half an hour in the kitchen just feels overwhelming, and I understand that. So yeah. that was my super easy, under five-minute, totally delicious lunch. Could you hold it in your hand or did you have to use a knife and fork? No, absolutely. You could eat it. You could hold it in your hand and eat it. You can hold it in your hand and eat it. And I didn't normally when I use those those cauliflower discs are a little bit on the they're not wet, but they're a little bit on the moist side. So normally right. I use them as as sandwich bread for like, you know, roast turkey slices and maybe some lettuce and some cheese and I'll I'll make a and some mayo and I'll make a sandwich. And I typically kind of wrap the bottom in kitchen paper because yeah. they can get a little bit. But this, the egg version, and I think maybe it was because the cheese was melting, so it was mm. kind of creating some glue there. Yeah. But it held together without a paper towel right the way through to the end. Great. 
and it was very delicious. Wow, that's awesome. So that that well, that was my quick win for lunch, and then my quick win for dinner. Yeah, I was gifted by the lovely Joan Walker, um, big friends of the two keto dude tribe. Um, Joan yep. has a cattle farm up in uh, southern Massachusetts, and I saw that shop that you posted. Oh my goodness! Well, that was actually a sirloin. That was one of Joan's sirloin steaks that she gifted me when she was when she came to visit last. And I do not have a grill. I don't have an outside grill, and and I also don't have a dude at my house to grill it, which seems to be how a lot <laughs> of steaks get cooked. Yeah. So. I and I growing up in England, forgive me England if it's changed in the last twenty years, but English people we're not steak we're not fabulous at making steak. It's right. just I never ate steak growing up. We just not yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had a good steak in England. So then mm. I come here and everybody um loves steak here and eats steak a lot. I've had so, good steak in England, but you have to go to some upscale places in the big cities, in London in particular. Yeah. I went to a really good steak place. But, uh, but yeah, your, your, your average hotel steak is going to be chewy and rare and rubbery and yeah. So, because of that background, I've never – I've always been a bit – nervous of steak and and because steak is spendy that's always mm. been like what if i don't cook it what, what if I, I ruin it so um a few years ago i found a way to cook steak that doesn't involve a dude or a grill <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty much foolproof and takes what does it take like 10 minutes so from from getting my gorgeous piece of, of sirloin out the fridge to getting the steak on my plate was under 10 minutes so i just thought i'd share a method for cooking a steak without a grill yeah and it's really easy so you preheat your oven to 400 f you toss some coconut or avocado oil in a skillet you do it, – it's easiest if you use a skillet that has either a removable handle or an oven-proof handle because yeah. you're actually – you're going to sear it on both sides and then you're going to put the whole thing yeah. in the cast oven. Cast iron is what I use. Or cast iron. Yeah. Um, so you're going to heat your skillet on high until it's very hot. Yep. When the oil starts to steam, you're going to season the steak on each side generously with sea salt, ground black pepper, and then you'll carefully, because it's going to spit like fury, yep. you're going to carefully lower your steak into the pan, and you're going to cook it for just one minute on each side. Don't do it if you don't have a vent to the outside, right. or you're not near a window with a fan blowing or all your yeah. fire alarms and you're going to scare the children. Don't do it in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> so, one minute on each side, and I actually time it because I don't know about you, but but it's actually, we're really typically bad at judging how long a minute it is. So yeah, and one extra minute could kill it. Right. So, yeah. one minute either side, and then you're going to put your entire skillet Take the handle off or or make sure you're in a pan with a an oven-proof handle. You're going to put it in the oven and you close the door. Now, most people I know, um, if you're going to sear it on both sides, as soon as it you flip it, that's when you put it in the oven because you don't really need to have it on the hot flame, if it's cast iron, on the flame for that residual heat to, to sear the bottom. And it's going to continue searing as it's, as it's in as the it oven. As it sits there. Yeah. So... You're going to cook it in the oven for three to seven minutes, depending on how you like your steak. And depending so for, on how thick it is. And depending, and this was, this was thick. Um, I, in, in my notes, when I wrote the recipe out, I, I said one to one and a half inches is optimal, especially if you like it rarer. Right. 
So if you want rare, you're going to leave it in that oven for three minutes. If you like medium rare, five minutes, medium seven minutes. And we're going to assume that you're all connoisseurs to the point where nothing over medium would ever pass your lips. Uh, yeah, I can't even get beyond medium rare. I mean, I love medium rare and that's it. Um, another tip that I do in my steak preparation is sous vide. Mm-hmm. And I sous vide first at 134 degrees for, for two hours, a, a good ribeye or a New York strip or whatever. Never a tenderloin. <laughs> I wouldn't do it with a tenderloin, but uh, a good fatty steak. And, and I buy, I don't know, about an inch thick for Kelly because she likes more medium and two inches thick for me. And so we cook them at the same time. We sear them for the same amount of time, but because hers is thinner, it gets to medium. It get, gets more cooked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So once your your three, five, seven minutes is up, you're going to carefully remove the pan from the oven. Use your mitts because remember the handle is That's now right. 400 degrees. Yep. Um, and then you're going to let the steak rest for five to ten minutes. So It's you know. very important you need to take that steak off of the pan yep. when you rest it. Otherwise, it's going to continue cooking. Yep. Yeah. So – Yeah. That's it. That and that was my my two huge. I've got no time and energy wins in the kitchen this week. Was my my egg sandwich, which has now become my favorite thing. Now I've done it once, and I realized <laughs> I can do it in like four minutes from opening the fridge door to sandwich in hand. That's um, great. To my steak. That though, those were my big wins in the kitchen this week. So I hope that that's inspired you that you can also cook delicious food very quickly um, to help you get back or stay on your keto journey. Fantastic, Cousin Carrie. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Cousin Carl and Sir Morris. Adios. Thanks again, Carrie. We'll see you next time. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you get as much out of this information as we got out of putting it together. Two Keto Dudes doesn't take advertising revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. That's right. It's listeners like you who keep our lights on. And there are a few ways you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at twoketodudes.com slash support. Thanks again. See you next time.